Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, where we go back in time to look at Irish albums from the given year between 1980 and 2005. This year is 1994, very important for many pop culture reasons, not least of which the albums that we shall discuss today. As ever, we have a cultured roundtable. I am joined by Kieran McGuinness of Delorentos yet again. Hello there. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. We have Una Malloy, who has done just about everything in the Irish music industry, uh, runs Turning Pirate, an agency. You've you've managed acts, you've booked tours, you've painted with Lisa Hannigan. You've done pretty <laughs> much everything I've ever seen anyone do, so thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, we also have Nathan Murphy from Off the Ball and a sports commentator, uh, which Kira very enjoys every week. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thanks, Kieran. Hi, Dave. Hey, man. How's it going? <laughs> Thank you for coming in. And also, Head Stuff music editor and our resident ethnomusicologist, Andrea Cleary, is back. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm not too bad. I got a tooth out yesterday, but, you know, it's okay. I can talk again. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, my tongue is still numb. It's really annoying. Andrea, how would you describe Dave's hair? Uh, oh, I d- when I walked in, I was like, hmm, fluff. It's nice. It's very fluffy, yeah. It's fluffy. Um, I was doing some housework today. Didn't feel right to slick it back. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's we could audio- maybe put up a picture. Uh, we won't be doing that. It's an audio <laughs> medium, so we'll just move right past that. But, you know, my, my hair is feathered, I would say. It's because Ed Sheeran's got a new album out. But then again, when this album comes out, who knows? This episode, rather. Mm-hmm. Kier, it's 1994. World Cup 94, big deal. I presume that's on your list of things that happened in the year. Yes, uh, uh, Brazil won. And I think Diana Ross missed a penalty she did at the start and the, the, the goals exploded and she missed it and it was one of the funniest things ever but it's actually a weird year um, politically so uh, I'm just going to try and get through it okay so we had um, civil war in Rwanda we had the Bosnian war we had OJ Simpson charged with murder 
<laughs> we had um, Kurt Cobain who did a thing to himself that was bad. Um, we also had a massive uh, ferry that crashed in, um, in outside of Stony. Like it's pretty. There's a lot of grim stuff that happened in history. Uh, it was Clinton and John Ma- Major were in um, the White Houses. Or something, that doesn't make sense. Um, in in their country's um, power, and Mandela got in that year. So there was lots of like, stuff going on. Schindler's List was the um, was the best picture, which won over. Uh, Shawshank Redemption so that's a bit of the background but the albums of the year uh, biggest selling ones were um, Bedtime Stories Madonna Celine Dion <laughs> uh, Colour of My Love and The Sign by Ace of Bass wow wow <laughs> indeed <laughs> and then after that there was a huge amount of kind of alternative music was absolutely huge in the States at this time there was Ill Communication Beastie Boys Dookie Green Day um, Soundgarden Super Unknown Weezer um, MTV Unplugged Nirvana and then uh, over this side, there was the Holy Bible by the Manchester Preachers, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. And uh, definitely maybe by a band called, I think it's Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of backdrop that we're coming to with these albums. Yeah, uh, interesting that you mentioned one there in particular, Green Day, because there's definitely a bit of a punk influence on at least one of the five that we have on our shortlist. Shall we reveal our shortlist? Yeah, so um, five albums uh, this year, which we're looking at are The Cranberries, No Need to Argue. The Mary Janes, uh, Bored of Their Laughing, um, Fatima Mansions, Lost on the Former West, Curb Dogs, uh, Curb Dog, and uh, Therapy's Trouble Gun. Quite the list. And it's weird because like, when, when we do these episodes, it, we don't quite know where we're going to end up until about a week or so beforehand. And sometimes there can be a bit of a theme, and oftentimes there isn't. But on this one, uh, it's weird. I mean, like, like you could, there are some heavyweight names that didn't make it. Like Sinead O'Connor didn't make it, Divine Comedy didn't make it. Yeah, I was really surprised that they didn't make it. I was very surprised that Sinead O'Connor didn't make it in particular. It's but you know, you, you voted for uh, Divine Comedy. Yeah, I actually, we were just saying earlier that um, I think to, if, if the albums were presented now to to everybody without any of the nostalgia or awareness of the bands, Divine Comedy would have been the one that I chose because I think it's the most enjoyable album. But I, there's just a lot of nostalgia and, <laughs> um, you know, feelings. There's a huge amount of really kind of well-known songs on it as well, isn't there? There's, uh, um, is the pop singers fear the pollen count on that? I know that um, the Lights Go Out Over Europe is on it and the Summer House. There's a lot of really gorgeous stuff and it seems to be just before he kind of went for the the character kind of that he went uh, for in the next album, which was... Um, yeah. What was the, what was the album? 96? Casanova. Casanova, yeah. I think. Mm. And it's, you know, he was much more into the character. Very theatrical, yeah. Yeah, whereas it's just really good songwriting on that album. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of messing as well, I think. Um, and it's, I think the it seemed to me listening to the record that there was a lot of that kind of that kind of blur sound where there was trumpets and strings together that seems kind of to come in around that time yeah um which sort again i i always think that kind of separated blur from oasis that kind of slightly more uh, arranged music and divine comedy were that i i think it's a beautiful sounding record you know and there's a cheekiness that goes with neil hannon that you know, comes through on the record a good bit. I was kind of like you when I was listening to it as well. It's probably lyrically the best album that year and musically the strongest album. Why is but this goddamn... There's something about... <laughs> does anybody care passionately about the Divine Comedy? They're just a very nice band yeah. to listen to. <laughs> well, yeah. They're, you know, are they anybody's favourite band? Everyone likes them. Yeah. But it's, it's easy listening. Well... Like, that would win... If that was released... If there was a choice music prize in that year, the Divine Comedy would win it. 
That is a big, bold statement. I'm not saying the best album of the year doesn't always win it, Kieran, but... (laughs) 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 I have none of that. Um, The the other one that that didn't get nominated was Sinead O'Connor, and I thought before we started looking at these albums, I was thinking... Like that's got to get in. Like there's a couple. Like obviously, therapy I thought would be in. I thought Sinead O'Connor would be in. Divine Comedy would be in. Um, but the Sinead O'Connor album, for me, uh, I I did I didn't think it hung together as well. I think it's her second album didn't yeah. hang together as well for me as an album. Fire in Babylon is a great song. Yeah, and there's loads of tracks on it that I remember and loved. Uh, but I also think, and I I fully thought I was on my kind of short list because I fully expected when I listened to it that it would be up in the top but uh, then when I listened to it I found it quite sort of self-indulgent or something maybe Sinead and then O'Connor no yeah. <laughs> but no, like without never. the without the she's gonna kill you <laughs> <laughs> but like because I, I love Sinead O'Connor no, I do I love her and as, a, and as a you know when I was a teenager I loved Sinead O'Connor but this particular record wasn't the one like you know Faith and Courage for me was but you know where she got kind of punky or but this was just a little bit lamenty or something. Mm. It wasn't my favourite thing that she did. And then I started reading about it a little bit. And it was funny. A lot of the reviews um, seemed to be very... De- people either loved it or hated it, which I thought was interesting because I listened to it and I was like, oh, I actually don't really like this at all. <laughs> yeah, it's like that thing. It's like you either love or hate it. Well, no, maybe you can just think it's average. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's okay too. Yeah. Well, in terms of what we do have, uh, we'll just kick it right off and we'll go with... It's interesting because we kind of featured the leader of this band on this show before in different capacity as the frontman of Micro Disney. The band are Fatima Mansions, the album is Lost in the Former West, and this is The Loyalizer. Okay, so that's Loyalizer. Uh, I really like that song. I think it's delightfully zany and crazy, and I like it a lot. Kira. Yeah, that's actually it's one of my favorite songs in the album. Um, so this is the fifth album by Fatima Mansions, which is, I guess, it's it's pretty much Cahal Coughlin, um, who was in Micro Disney. Uh, it's also, but they have longtime collaborators. One of them on this, it's the two mainly Andreas Agrina, uh, sorry, Agruma, and Cahal Coughlin on this album. They're on the cover, dressed as uh, Liberace and. Uh, and his driver, um, but it's, it's a. I think it's an absolutely brilliant album. I th- it's 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 angry. It's heavy. It's literate. It's got some of the best lyrics that I've heard in a long time. Um, it's you know punky and shouty without it ever seeming mindless or it always seems like directed anger and like especially on this list where there's a lot of rock. You know, it seems like a kind of a rock list for some reason. I don't know how. It's just funny how it works out sometimes. But this seems like the one where it works. It doesn't seem to be none of the anger is wasted. It's it's like it's like uh, it's passionate as opposed to like just randomly angry. You know, he's writing about you know he's writing about politics. He's writing about you know he's writing about Ireland. He's writing about stuff that you know you can imagine him. He sat down and you know crafted the songs. You know, it's also produced by uh, Jerry Harrison from Talking Heads. So there. I know there's there's definitely a, a lot of craft to it, um, and uh, yeah. So there's 
the first track, um, Belong Nowhere, is one of the best. It's just, I just absolutely loved it, you know. And every time I went on the, the album a bit, I was I just wanted to go back and get the sweet crack of, uh, of Belong Nowhere. Um, and yeah, and also I got to I got to go through some of the lyrics because um, I, I don't know. I just I think they're absolutely brilliant. I think they're sometimes clunky and they're sometimes a bit messy and they don't scan. But every now and again, you get a line which is. Um, this is from uh, um, Pop Mobile to Paraguay, which I think is one of the best songs on it. It's been a while since you said heil, you CIA, CIA, CIA bred uh, necrophile. <laughs> I'll do that again. It's been a while since you said heil, you CIA bred, CIA bred necrophile. Um, you know, if you're jumping around your room, you know, shouting, <laughs> you know, it's definitely, definitely going to be a good album. Yeah, I've struggled before with Kyle Cock and I've struggled before with Micro Disney. Like, I mean, I kind of admired their avant-garde nature before, but for me it was too much. It was too Morrissey, it was too Cabaret, it was too whatever. It's interesting that we kind of mentioned the Divine Comedy before this because it almost feels like if you say Casanova is the album where he really kind of puts on the theatrical hat, it almost feels like this is a passing of the torch or something because this album to me, I was like, okay, where's the accompanying stage show? There must have been one. Like, I feel like, like this should have been a musical or something because it's just such a weird kind of, I don't know, Baroque sense to it or something. Like, it's really ostentatious and yet it kind of hangs together. I was really quite taken by it and I was very, very surprised. At first, like, I didn't, I wasn't not familiar with Phantom Mansions and I didn't know that it was called Coughlin. When I looked it up, I was like, hang on, that can't be the same guy who I found really grating on Micro Disney stuff. And, and like, he somehow managed to, while his voice doesn't sound drastically different, he managed to carve out almost a second persona for himself in this band. And it really, really fits for me. I mean, like, like I was really, really, it was a pleasant surprise in that regard. And it only elevated the album further. I think it's really, really good. I think it's really, really focused. And it was kind of like, it is it, focused. Like, it feels I like totally a full stop, that. though. And it feels like a full stop for the band. I know they broke up shortly after, but I don't, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's peak of the Paris stuff here because I did go back and listen to some other things. And like, this was far and away the most engaging for me. And yeah, I, I really like this album. But this is the thing that happens. This is the thing that happens when uh, a band, <clears throat> you know, when you look back in the band and it's their last album, you go, well, you can see now oh, yeah. that was their last album. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's more, I think it's actually way more likely to see a last uh, album as the album that just about got out because they were all about to fall apart and it was a disaster. You know, I think like a band, an album as good as this, you would think is just another step in the development of a band. That's, that's how, I, how I would look at it. But yeah. Yeah, I was coming to this pretty fresh in that I'd never really listened to Fatima Mansions before. They were sort of of that era just as I was starting to listen to music that you heard of all these Irish bands that should have been bigger but you 2 stole all the attention and they were sort of in that kind of category. But I think Focused was a really good word because I thought it was probably of all the five albums it was the most mature album. It was the one where you can kind of tell they went into the studio and even though they had like a big name producer as well they sort of knew exactly what they wanted to do and this was their sound. Whereas a lot of the other bands probably did better stuff as they went on or did stuff as they were solo as they went on that was more of of their personality. But this, and having listened to some of the other Fatima Mansion stuff and gone back and listened to some Micro Disney as well, like this is them at the peak of their powers. It's this- strongly influenced as well. Like um, Portmobile to Paraguay is a bit of Pearl Jam in there. There's a lot of eight, late 80s stuff as well. There's bits of spandau ballet in excess it's it's r- far more listenable than i imagined for some reason yeah i totally i, I also found yeah. imagines was unbelievably alternative <laughs> but it's not it was just pure pop yeah. rock almost bits yeah, of that. That's a, I, but there's something about the micro disney stuff that i always liked but never entirely got which was they had the 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 you know the re- they were really going for something with the lyrics they were going for something with their songwriting 
Um, but I ne- it never hung together entirely. From what I've heard, I haven't heard everything about that they've done, but it never hung together entirely for me. But this album, for whatever reason, just hung together. It's like they, they focused on all the best parts. They featured the stuff that was important to them. And it, it just seems to just come out fully formed. And this is an album that, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be going back to a lot, I think. It's kind of weird. Like, I mean, like, how of its time does it feel, though? Because that's something we've kind of had this thing on, on the show before where, like, stuff from the 80s sounds incredibly of the 80s. And there's some albums here. You mentioned earlier on it's very kind of a rock-themed episode to a degree. Like, this one doesn't really sound like it's from any particular time. Like, like I, I could hear this coming out today. Like, I totally know. agree. This is one of the few albums that I think... I, I don't think it sounds dated. And part part of that is because it's not... It wouldn't have been fashionable, I don't think, at the time. It doesn't have loads of, you know, horns that were, you know, uh, popular. It doesn't sound very Britpoppy. It doesn't sound... It doesn't sound that American Nirvana, you know kind of grungy either like it just kind of sounds like you know this is the ninth album that Kyle Coughlin delivered sort of so it's just kind of his progression that he got to sort of you know that's what I think anyway yeah it's interesting as well that connection with Talking Heads where just in terms of the evolution from the 80s into the 90s as opposed to what the rest of the albums were kind of guitar-y and and the the thing like it was quite refreshing to listen to Fatima Mansions and I I was like you I, I hadn't heard the record before and when we initially were going through the list it was the, one of the ones that stood out and I'm a massive Talking Heads fan so it's interest- I didn't realise that there was a connection um, but it's interesting that you know it feels like it's kind of evolved into something as opposed to started in 1994 with all the Britpop bands that were around then One last thing is that there's a, there's a, there's a Scott Walker cover on it um, with a song called Night Flights and they managed I didn't even know it was a cover and they managed to uh, just—it's totally them, you know. And I—it's funny because it didn't sound out of place on the album either. And the fact that that is a you know a completely different type of songwriter, you know, it just sounds like it makes me think that maybe some of these songs, the Fatima Mansion songs, maybe they're ripe for you know someone coming along and and doing you know then the way that sometimes the songwriting of a band can can be delivered by someone else and suddenly it's like huge like a lot of Bob Dylan songs being absolutely massive you know someone else doing them in that kind of way I wonder because I think the songs are good enough on this to do that to to be able to be kind of taken by someone else and reinterpreted but this is a great album uh, so check it out um, and check out the first track Being Nowhere Perhaps oh, sorry, uh, Belong Nowhere. Belong Nowhere. <laughs> Perhaps uh, De Laurentiis bonus track on uh, the new upcoming record for a nice cover in there, no? No, Do no, the Loyalizer, man, do, it's great. Don't, don't do bonus <laughs> tracks. Great, uh, tracks and sales are bonus <laughs> tracks. <laughs> if this lands in your Heads of Music Editor inbox tomorrow, what would you? What would your reaction be? I think you're right. I think it sounds completely fresh, and I think um, of, of everything on the list, it's the one that um, I... Le- leaving here today, I will probably dedicate the most time to li- to listening to again I think even though it's not my album <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's quite okay uh, well let's have one that I think isn't as fresh and uh, this is Curb Dog with their self-titled debut Right, 
right, so that's a uh, curb dog. A fondly remembered Irish band. Um, this album, hmm, Dre, what do you think? Well, from everything, right? Disclaimer: I was three when this album came out, He's so I was, now. I was getting real into. I was getting into trolls. I was getting into sleeping in my, in my own bed. I was getting into Rosie and Jim. So. Forgive me for the fact that it passed me by, but going back and listening to it now, uh, I didn't know Curb Dog at all. Um, alternative metal group from Kilkenny. This is their debut album. And it's... It's kind of frustrating because I, I listened to this album and then I listened to their kind of wide, well-regarded follow-up album. And... While in, in in this one, I, I I can really hear like the the bones of where they went with it, um, and all of their kind of technical abilities were really kind of all, already honed. It was just the same song over and over and over again. Uh, thankfully, it was a good song, but it was <laughs> it was um, it, it was a little bit um, frustrating. Um, but I will say, because sometimes we we do need to look on Wikipedia um, lead singer of the band is uh, a gentleman called Cormac, Cormac Battle, Battle uh, which is like that name alone is absolutely amazing uh, has one one of my favourite um, sections on a Wikipedia page ever and I'm nearly certain that he wrote this himself and the <laughs> the, uh, the section is called personal expenses Battle was given a Citroen 2 CV by his brother Greg in 1998 to deliver Chinese food. The car lasted just a few weeks because of his overzealous driving around Rathmines, Dublin. He had an SSIA, but when his band fell apart, he invested it in, in education at Dublin City University. His favourite purchase is his Vespa scooter. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I did really enjoy that. Um, but yeah, and uh, he went on to pursue other... Musical pursuits, uh, the name of which I can't remember, Wilt. Wilt, yeah. Wilt, yeah. yeah. And um, is now a, a DJ on 2FM and is responsible for um, a lot of people that I've been talking to over the past couple of days getting into some cool metal music. So I feel like we're kind of dancing around the fact that with this record, like it does kind of sound like one long song. And I, and I do mm. kind of hate that criticism because it's very reductive I know that but at the same time like I grew up you know like I didn't grow up with Curved Dog but like my older brother's mates would throw me some stuff here and there and they threw me on the turn once and I really enjoyed it like I thought this was this really kind of cool punky didn't even sound Irish to me I was surprised that they were there's from there's a lot more yeah. I think melody in, in the second the record yeah. much more much more yeah. uh, but I think that's the only thing that's missing you know like it's I think it's 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 missing more kind of foregrounded guitar lines mm. as well because yeah. it it just kind of seems to be that same, um, like that same kind of undercurrent and pulse all the time, and the only things that's really changing is the rhythm. Um, whereas if if I heard kind of more interesting guitar lines going on in it, it, it might have held me a little bit better. I think Nathan, you were a fan of this record. Well, I was a fan of Curb Dog and I really enjoyed researching this record until I realised after listening to it about five times that we weren't covering their second record, <laughs> that we were covering their debut record. Yeah, that's uh, the problem, isn't it? And the second, uh, second album on the turn is brilliant and I just love it. It is very Wilt sounding and I used to go and see Wilt a lot when I was in college. Uh, this the pro- Part of the problem with this maybe is that we were listening to it at the same time as listening to Therapy. Yeah. And there are two bands who are trying to do the exact same thing, but Therapy mm-hmm. of all the things you're talking about there, yeah. there's a riff to everything, there's a musicality to it that's just not there with this. And I know uh, Cormac Battle was saying at the time, I think, that they went to the studio and they basically just turned everything up to 11. And mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like. It's just 
it's only about 40 minutes long this album but mm. maybe it's that you can't get it on Spotify and it's only up on YouTube and it just play I, like I literally, that might have been, I literally I, couldn't I tell where to, one track finished yeah. and one one track began yeah it's 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 uh, I, I, everything that's been said I, I agree with um, I actually went and uh, I, I, actually, I went and I looked for the singles you know I went and I kind of went backwards as you know to try and find which singles were the ones to listen for and then Unfortunately for me, the singles didn't sound any uh, any different. To yeah, I, I I did the same thing I th- uh, because I, think- I assumed they were going to be Cleaver and uh, Earthworks because they were kind of my the the, the yeah. ones that I would look for if you were putting out a single from this album. It's like okay, well this these have maybe a little bit more melody in it or a little bit more something, and uh, and it wasn't either of them. It it's funny, like, it is. It does sound. It sounds like all the parts are there except for the the melodies. You know, it's yeah. Like, you know, there is a hell of a lot of riffing. There is a hell of a lot of, you know, cool drum bits. It's, it's, yeah. it's my first grunge band. I mean, like, 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 like with, with a bit of a James Hetfield kind of tribute and some of the vocals. Like I literally have James Hetfield tribute written down. But man, <laughs> it's, it's genuinely, at times you're just like, fuck me. He must have loved Master of Puppets. So like, yeah. this is yeah. nuts. I mean, like, Corn Is it grunge though? It's more metal than grunge. Do you think so? It? It's I, a bit I, more metal. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I would have thought, um, because it was, was Jack and Dino who did... Nirvana, Bleach, Incesticide did all mm. Muddy Honey's albums, which is as grunge as you can get. <laughs> and it doesn't sound anything like... like th- Those albums are so much rawer yeah. than this. This I, almost sounds yeah. like a extended demo that somebody didn't really take hold of. <laughs> We're very yeah. harsh in it now. Like, they did <laughs> do some really good stuff after this. Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of what we're, we're talking about, isn't it? I'm, like, on, I'm on team grunge. Una, what do you think? I definitely think metal, but <laughs> it's not... Uh, so it's not my favorite genre, so and and I think with the Curb Dog record, I was the same. I listened to it and was just like, I can't believe I have to listen to the rest of this <laughs> yeah. record. And well, I find it really tough. You know, I had to not listen to it on headphones because I just had to li- I had to listen to it on, on speakers away from my ears. <laughs> it's not produced, I suppose. You know, it it isn't supposed to be going for that thing. But Dave, like you, you voted for this. So what was the thing that you liked that you, that made well, you want to go with this album? To be fair, I mean, like it was. I, I thought it was a good companion piece to the upcoming therapy record that we're going to talk about. I actually think like it's. I think the Fatima Mansions album is a good companion piece as well. In as much as I threw that on after I heard this, and I was like, oh wow, how refreshing songs. They're actual songs here now. This is great. I think it's because of my nostalgic, like, curb dog thing. It was a knee jerk thing of like, oh, I loved On the Turn. I'm sure their first record will be really good. No, no. it's not. <laughs> it's not It's not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, like, Corn Pal is going one those voices that is kind of Marmite. I quite like it. Some people don't. And I liked Wilt. I thought Distortion was an excellent I think it's the opposite of Marmite. I think it just sounds like everything else in the genre. It's mm-hmm. like. It's it's I don't know what the difference. Well, as you said, between... there's bits of Eddie Vedder in there, and there's bits where you listen to the Therapy album, where it almost sounds like oh. Comic Battle is guesting <laughs> does, on the yeah. Therapy album. Well, they played, they played these two, they they played with each other, they, they supported each other at a lot of gigs, and um, Therapy helped them uh, apparently uh, send off to the record label. They had a contact or whatever. So like there is a, there is a through line as there often is between these albums. You know, I I, I imagine the Fado Mansions, you know, I imagine Carl Cochran is like would totally look down on, I don't know him, but it just seems like he's trying to operate on a much higher plane than someone like Curb Dog is, whereas Curb Dog genuinely, it feels very genuine that they, like, Mm. this is like, you know, they're young guys and, you know, they've saved up and they're, you know, recording this. It feels like my my mate's band in school or something. Exactly. It's like really passionate, really honest stuff, but it's just, it's just a step or two away from the development they did later on. I'll say what I, what I, what I find myself, I I say it now, I say it about like the the last weekend album and I'm a big weekend fan. 
this is becoming a, a, a running joke amongst me, but like uh, amongst me and my friends, but uh, it should have been an EP. It yeah. should have been an EP, mm-hmm. four tracks, mm-hmm. in and out. Brevity is the spice of life, my friends. And I find that, like, you know, the problem with this one is by the end of it, you do get fatigued. Your kind of brain gives up. And I can't blame you for not only putting on speakers, but, you know, just if, even if you, like, walked out and like, watched TV for 10 minutes, came back, it's still on. You're like, I haven't really missed anything. Because it just, you, you, even you use the word through line. This album is a through line. It's just one thing all the way through. And you're like, grand, you know, Good first start, and it led to a very good follow-up, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, this is not the essential curb dog by any stretch of the imagination, so... No. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about a record that, uh, again, interesting comparison piece. And yeah, in terms of vocals, in terms of lyrics, in terms of guitars, there's a lot here to admire and also kind of go, I don't know. Uh, often cited as one of the biggest rock records of the 90s by a lot of publications. This is Therapy, and this is Trouble Gum. Okay, that's Scream Major, the excellently titled Scream Major from Therapy there. A bit of angst, which we enjoy. Uh, generally considered to be their, at their musical and commercial peak. This album sold over one million copies worldwide, reached number five in the UK Albums Chart, certified gold, and was nominated as Album of the Year at the Mercury Prize. Which I didn't know. In 1994, Ooh. would you believe? Now, I remember, I, I, I was big into Kerrang! magazine back in, like, I want to say... I like, am shocked. <laughs> back, I want to say, last year. No, no, in, um, I, I would say, like, 2000, 2001, uh, that kind of time. And, uh, yeah, this, not an issue would go by, it felt that way, anyway, without some kind of mention of Troublegum somewhere. Like, there seemed to be big fans of that publication, and it was a record, like, Therapy have got 14 albums at the time of this recording. They're one of the most prolific acts around to this day. And they're beloved, like, you know, they are absolutely loved by their fans. And, you know, this was a record that I kind of went to being like, okay, well, can it possibly live up to all this hype? The short answer would be no, but I do like it quite a bit. Uh, granted, it's really strangely on the cusp of, like, uh, you know, American-sounding stuff and also homegrown. Like, you know, I think Knives is a great opening track, kind of sets the tone, nice two-minute kind of blast of, like, this kind of punk metal thing that they're doing. Uh, Scream Major, which you heard there, I'm a huge fan of the production on that one, like, the drums in particular, saying, like, my, like that kind of Green Day style. Like, I mean, like, I'm a drummer myself, and, like, that snare sound is just, you know, it's music to my ears. Uh, it, 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 the drums sounds are sound really good. gorgeous. Right? But sound. it's quite produced, yeah. It is quite produced. and But, like, I mean, the weird thing is, like, I mean, like, you get into a track then, like, Hellbelly, and it sounds like a cross between, like, you know, a joke band like the Murder Dolls, and mm-hmm. also Pantera, or, like, Typo Negative, when you get that chorus which is that chorus is straight off like a machine head record you're like what is this and like and this is the first three tracks so you're kind of just like i, I need some few minutes here yeah to get you get my, a bit dizzy my head mm. together yeah but it's strange because i mean like it's very on the nose like the lyrics alone i know nathan is, is going to uh, th- uh, get into that in a second but like you got tracks in here like you know stop it you're killing me and nowhere and die laughing and like these are the most straightforward simple missives about disaffected youth but then again I can see why that would be a tonic to a lot of people you know kind of in 1994 in Northern Ireland you know like, like people there's kind no of, Kerrang like, then there's no Kerrang then so. but uh, yeah it's I can see how this could be a massively in, in influential record but it does also run into slightly I don't I don't want to say generic territory but I mean you know I've kind of cited like Unbeliever that genuinely sounds like every song that was playing when I'd walk in to see a, a, a gig in The Point and the support act were on 
around that Kerrang loving time. Yeah, mm. I went to see Stained. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. Enjoyed it. I was young. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we, we all make we all make mistakes. Like, but, uh, he, Davey went to Busted last week. I did so look, no, yeah, one's, yeah. No, no one's gonna. Who was better, Stained or Busted? Yeah. Uh, busted were better. Yeah. It was a yeah? Uh, I went in like I went in uh, to be an ironic dickhead, and I found myself really enjoying it. Five songs in. <laughs> <laughs> what was the song that got you? Oh, uh, Year Three Thousand. Nice. No, it was Air Hostess. Yeah, yeah. But Three Air Hostess with the worst lyric uh, in recorded history. Uh, in Air Hostess. When, is it, I messed my pants when we flew over France. <laughs> I, I I didn't write the fucking thing. Don't look at me. <laughs> no, no, I know you didn't write it, but that has the worst lyrics ever. I'm sure they have plenty of contenders. 3AM is a good song, though. But nonetheless, Therapy. Does this album even hold up, though, is what I want to know. Because, I mean, again, some of these records that we do in the revisit sound painfully dated, where you're just like, oh, Jesus, you know, like, like this is out of place. But I quite like this. This, to me, sounds like, you know... It it sounds so kind of it is produced, but it also sounds kind of raw and unclean. Like like that's obviously the aesthetic that they were going for. But this sounds like someone got like, gave me like a tape of it or something. Like you know, like it doesn't sound too polished. It doesn't sound too kind of you know shiny. And for that alone, I quite liked it. And I do think that the songs do exactly what they need to do. I could live without the Joy Division cover of Isolation. I think that's a bit too much. But I, I disagree. I think that it, it. I think it's. I think it is very produced. I think it's very controlled. Hmm. Um, I think it is, you know, grungy. I think it's, you know, it's metal in all the, the best ways. Um, and I think it's got a sense of humor at times, which is great. Um, but I think it's, it's, I think it's a strange one because personality wise, it go, it can, like Scream Major is quite punk pop. It's quite, mm. um, it could be nearly Blink One A Two levels of of um, punk pop, pop, pop. I think, and then. But it doesn't matter. Like the like the best songs, I think, stand above all the other songs in this album by loads. Like "Die Laughing," "Going Nowhere," uh, "Scream Major," uh, even the first song "Knives," I think are just just absolutely brilliant. But I think that there is a lot of generic stuff on it as well. I think there's a real uh, yeah generic sound in here in the in the tracks that don't work as well. Would you disagree with that? No, I, I think that's a fair point. I think in the long run it does kind of outstay its welcome a little bit. But I can definitely see why it was a shot in the arm for a lot of people, especially at a time when, again, you know, we're looking back on this having heard a lot of kind of copycats maybe. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, like, I do agree, though, that like it's, it is the, a, a tightening of the belt might have been a bit better here. But the ones that work really work for me. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I just, is it quite similar to a lot of hard rock records in that most of them have three or four standout tracks and then, a lot of it sounds quite samey. Like, I think this stands up compared to some of the big American bands around at that stage, like Soundgarden, bands like that. And, like, in Scream Rager, or Scream Rager, I think it's, like, to write a song like that, and you'll know this, I don't know, it, like, anybody, singer-songwriter, can write a nice song. But to write a rock song for the ages that in every teenage disco in this side of the world, in America... It's been played after else like Teen Spirit, after Enter Sandman, mm. Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Like, that is is quite a feat. Oh, no, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, it is, it's It's easy to be, um, what's the phrase? It's easy to go for something kind of generic and populist uh, that way and it not work. It's way harder for it to work. And I think, mm. as I said, you know, the best seven or eight songs in this are absolutely brilliant. The 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 worst five or six songs in it, I just I I just find I found cloying, you know, annoying. <laughs> but but funny, and there's a song called I think you said it. Stop it, you're killing me. The lyrics in that are really, I couldn't believe how kind of present the lyrics are. They're about you know U.S. policy and people dying on boats and stuff and immigrants. And I was like, 
that's you know, it's really weird that that it felt like that you could do an acoustic version of that now, and it would be it would resonate, you know. And mm-hmm. it's weird because I mean Andy Carnes like kind of dresses it up in this kind of up tempo, you know, like like he's clearly pissed off and like he like yeah there is there is actually quite a bit of socially conscious stuff going on here, and you know. I'm not sure how much of a you know yardstick therapy wanted to be in that regard in, in any kind of movement, but uh, obviously you know they would have been as I say disaffected youth. Uh, Nathan, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually, I found myself in a rock bar the other the other evening. Was this after busted? No, it was a few, a few days after busted. I'm, I'm very eclectic, you know. Like I can't help myself. I found myself in a rock club, uh, and um, they played Scream Major. It came on, and everyone went fucking nuts. It was like, yeah, it's great. They also played some really really bad stuff. Did but, you uh, did you go fucking nuts? No, I I, I took it easy. You know, okay. I was I, I had a sore tooth at the time, which is Aww. now gone. Rest in peace, Dave's tooth. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned uh, "Stop It, You're Killing Me" in the lyrics, because the opening line is "The world is fucked, and so am I." Which, when you hear it at the time, is just the worst lyric of all time. <laughs> it's the most fifteen-year-old boy. But lyric. if you hear it in a rock bar, yeah, wow. oh my! Gonna, uh, God. So uh, <laughs> taking two shots of Zambuca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has anyone had two shots of Zambuca that they really want? No, never. Just, <laughs> I, I was offered a third, and I was like, God, "No, I'd please, love some no." Zambuca. <laughs> you know, just go down lovely hands. now. I can't yeah. do anymore. It's disgusting. <laughs> the opening line to shot. Uh, Femtex is. Um, uh, masturbation saved my life, which is another great line. <laughs> Busted would be proud. Yeah. Busted, but Busted. All of this is aimed towards 15 year old boys. Yeah, there is a bit of that. And Andy Cairns in the video it's for. It's called Trouble Gum, for Christ's sake. <laughs> there is a lot of bad Subtlety points. is not their forte, I don't think. The feeling I felt most was cringe during the record. But I just wondered was it like a dated thing or was it is it cringy? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I said this beforehand. Um, I got. Um, I think I, I, I would I would had been buying, you know, uh, now that's what I call music albums up to this point, you know, and I hadn't really delved into any kind of alternative music in any way. And I got an album and I can't remember what it was called, but it was something probably like Rock Hits, you know, 101 <laughs> or something. And it had about it had uh, it's two CDs, so like 24 tracks probably. And it had everything that like it was just the best compilation the most mm. you know inspiring compilation I've ever had and it had everything from the Manic Street Peaches to Sonic Youth to um, to you know all of like you know interesting music on it and little parts of it and Die Laughing was on it and I put on the first thing I did when I, this album came up was I put on Die Laughing and you know I just I just there was, there was a, a something hit me with that um, music it just like completely said this is the stuff you should be listening to Put Away Shaggy's album. You know? <laughs> put away <laughs> Put Away Whitney Houston. Put away all this hey. stuff. <laughs> maybe, maybe the point of what like it just completely changed my direction of where I went. And then, you know, the next thing I think Dookie came out this year and I think Dookie was one of my first albums that I ever brought bought. And then the next album I think I ever bought was probably Unplugged in New York. And then after that it was uh, high and dry or or one of the radio you know I started on a progression you know I completely went the other way and it was that album mm. and there was something about it that just completely snared me and I think there is a teenagery thing there is I don't know what it is but it is whatever that thing is that it's a youthful, youthful thing just completely got me and now maybe listen back there's a bit of cringe but then I totally, just totally bought it. You know? mm-hmm. There was Absolutely. a spark, yeah. This sense. is the album Curb Dog wanted to make. Yeah. <laughs> I think certain albums give you a job for life. And I think this album did it for therapy. The Strokes, you know, is this it? Mm. Like, I mean, the Strokes can release another album tomorrow and people will still be like, oh, it's going to be good. And then they're yeah. like, oh, no, it's not great, is it? But, you know, it just made enough of an impact. It gar- garnered enough of a fan base 
that people just uh, are quite loyal. And again, I feel like with a band like Therapy, their fans are very, very loyal. So Therapy fans, I wasn't slagging them off or anything, just, you know, don't send me any hate mail. But, um, they just really at Hanready Dave on Twitter. <laughs> at Hanready Dave on Twitter. <laughs> if I'm in a rock bar or at a busted concert. <laughs> busted fan, Dave Hanready. Busted fan. <laughs> From one band that addressed the troubles to another that did so in a much more infamous fashion. This is the Cranberries, this is Zombie, and this is off No Need to Argue. So, Zombie, where else to start with no need to argue? I did a Twitter poll on this song, and I put it up. 100 people voted, so we got a nice split there. And uh, I went, it's great, it's good, it's a bit cringe. It's a bit cringe, leading it for a long time, but it actually finished with 55% of the vote saying it's great, and the rest was an even split. I kind of feel like, you know, there's a lot more to this album than just that one song, but that one song, and I remember this very, very vividly. I was 10 years of age at the time, and I remember like my brother playing this just all the time the video was everywhere um, I didn't quite know what it was all about I had an ordinary Irish friend who kind of filled me in on some of the more pertinent details uh, how do we feel about that song in general and even like how it holds up today if it does at all Una um, for me this record came out when I was 12 so and it, it was just in that transition from travelling around on the back of a bike with somebody else you know trick nuts and mm. playing in the park to into kind of music and I and I really just and I'm, my parent my my dad is a real classical music buff like Perry Como was about as non-classical as it got mm-hmm. and then you know I grew up my brother was listening to Graceland and it was just right at that time that I was and Chrissy Moore was a big thing in the house um, and it was just right at that time that I remember you know that you know where it started and, and that suddenly like you talked about earlier just like your ears are pricked and something happens inside. You're like, holy shit, why do I feel this way about music? You know, and it's like... <laughs> I'm so angry and yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> and Dolores O'Riordan was such a badass at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like a kind of punk lady. Um, it was kind of, you know, like a big thing for us, you know, Chrissy, Chrissy Moore, the Dubliners, all that kind of stuff growing up in our house. So, you know, the fact that it was about, there was a track about Northern Ireland and, you know, there was like anger and patriotism and, you know, like... It meant a lot to me, that song, at the time. And mm. I possibly picked this record, Furnace, and there is a lot, like when we were talking about the, the difference between cringe and, and things being relevant now and things that you enjoy. Like, if I listened to this for the first time now, I'd probably have a lot of negative things to say about it. <laughs> mm. But, like, the whole record. But overall, you know, from the first, you know, the the, the first track of the record is that, like, do-do-do-do, do where she kind of... And, uh, you know, you just immediately go, oh, my God. I remember being 13 <laughs> how much I cared about everything uh, and, uh, and that's why I love <laughs> you know like everything was so important mm. and this record was really I remember my dad and I used to cycle into town every Saturday and we'd go into HMV our, our thing was we'd cycle from Athfarnham into town we'd go into HMV he'd go to the classical section and I'd go to all the listening posts in the, in the folk key section and then 
around this time was when I started, you know, started listening to Radiohead. And, you know, I, I, at the time, I, I was just about to become friends with uh, Mark Austin, who's now the lead singer of The Minutes, Minutes yeah. and Diana Anglum, who's the lead singer of a band called Swords. Mm-hmm. We used to all hang out together as teenagers. And so it was all leading up to that kind of time. So, yeah, I can't help but get ridiculously nostalgic when I hear that song and those tunes. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, like, like that's kind of one of the reasons why, I, again, I need Jerk went for this one because, like, there's a massive element of nostalgia for me as well. And, I mean, like, I've read a lot of divisive reviews of this record, and I think overall, I think it's really good. I think it's really strong. I, I think even, like, a track like you mentioned there, like the opening track, um, Ode to My Family, I think that there's a really nice juxtaposition of light and dark in that one. I mean, like, you know, with her kind of, you know, do-do-do thing. But, like, it's there's a, there's a lot of clever darkness in there like about you know the nature of family and her relationship with, with, with her own particular family and I think it's done very very well I, I think it's a really kind of smart pop song in that regard and, and that there's I, I love subtext like, like, I mean, like that's what I love with music so much I, I adore stripping back the you know the, the kind of layers and you know I'm not always right but I kind of like like looking for those little stories within and I think that this album is absolutely laced with them overall it's much more rock than their first album the first album I always thought had a really good mix of the kind of dreamy pop thing, you know, with Linger and, and the song Dreams and that kind of thing. It was probably less crafted than this, but the, a lot of this kind of sounds a little bit overblown for me. Um, where it works, like tracks like 21 and Ridiculous Thoughts and Oh To My Family, I think it really works, but where that overblown thing doesn't work, like Zombie and like a lot of the tracks on the album, I just kind of f- thought there was a kind of an awkward pretentiousness to some of it and I actually I don't blame them what happens is you suddenly people are listening to what you're saying so you feel you must write more interesting songs and then you try and write stuff about Yeats's grave and you try and write so- stuff about Northern Ireland and it's happened to us all it's happened to us all <laughs> but I just don't think that I think that th- I, I think this album is a shame because I think sh- this album sold 17 million copies you know the <laughs> previous album sold eight and a half million and i think the huge success of the first album actually i think affected it meant them m- made them go in this direction and the problem is that the album after this sold five million the album after that sold three million and no album since then has gone over do you think they blew it is that what you're kind of no i think that the thing that was really really interesting about them on their first album and is is in the track for example oh to my family and is into in a couple like 21 that song um, is really really cool and really really interesting but the thing where they w- felt that they had to go rock you know I don't know I think I think that it isn't as good I think there's some really really good Cranberry songs but I think that I don't think this album it just didn't do it for me it's just taste wise didn't do it for me I gotta say I feel the complete opposite I wasn't overly looking forward to listening to this like I was saying 13 when this came out it felt at the time as if it was a very girly record the okay. type of thing you would listen to so you could get into the minds of the 13 uh, year old girls in your class and see what they were thinking about life Northern I, Ireland no, no, violence I, I didn't realise that they yeah. were so into Northern very Ireland and very complex yay. creatures yeah <laughs> I just didn't realise this at the time uh, but I really enjoyed listening back to it and I, I get what you're saying about some of the production but I wonder how much of that was down to them and how much of that was down to the producer because I didn't realise Stephen Street had produced it and Oh To My Family is kind of raw even when you listen to the guitar and I was listening to my headphones quite a bit and like the guitar almost sounds off it almost sounds like a 17 year old playing guitar and he's made a mess with it a couple of times and he's not willing to tell the producer can I do that <laughs> again please whereas clearly they're like very successful 
at this stage. But he did a lot of the Blur stuff. And was that year, the year after, The Great Escape came out? And it's quite similar in that first song, The Great Escape, is Stereotypes, which is this real guitar song, and the guitar is kind of off in that as well. But in the same album, you have like The Universal, which is this huge, big orchestra, trumpets, Pop, the whole yeah. shebang. And he kind of fits into that when Zombies, this just huge anthem. And I got to say, until the last few songs, I really enjoyed it. Like, Yeats's Grave is the most pretentious song title any Irish <laughs> yeah. band has mm-hmm. ever, and the lyrics of it and are the just ridiculous. in the wrong place. It is in the wrong place, yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. A, that's definitely a clunker, I think, overall. You mentioned kind of the last songs. I love the way this album ends. I think the, t- the title track is a really lovely way to end it. Sorry, yeah, the, 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 with, with the exception of the title track at the end, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I do agree the closing run is definitely weak, but, like, on the, on, on the notion of the title track, I mean, like, I think that's something that's kind of been lost by a lot of records. I kind of feel like your title track as a full stop. You know, like, I, I quite like when an album does that when there's a sense of finality. It's also in the uh, the 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 Phantom Mansions album. It's an instrumental at the last song. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I totally so I agree. It does. The same <laughs> thing. It's like, and I feel like you know, there's so many records today, especially kind of you know mainstream pleasing ones, where the last track could be anything. Like it's just like it's just the last track. Who cares? And I I always enjoy when there's a closing of the loop and there's a closing of the narrative and a bit of a epilogue. The last track on the Therapy album is bizarrely, um, "You Are My Sunshine." It's <laughs> mm. and uh, uh, my, my, when it came on, and, and uh, my daughter ran in and was like. <laughs> like, yes, she's getting on. into therapy. So I had to turn everything off, and I had to put on, you know, lullabies. Then, <laughs> Jesus. Well, they, they knew what they were doing ahead of time. I, I kind of feel like no, and like Cranberry's not a band that I would particularly go, you know, go to bat for all that hard. But like, uh, like Nathan, I was quite surprised by this. I mean, like, like it's a record. I, I, I only really remember Zombie and perhaps the opening track. Like, cause that's all I can remember from the time of being played in my house. Sitting down to it as a record, yeah, on the whole, it does definitely kind of collapse under its own weight. I would agree that there's a bit of pretentiousness going on. But at the same time, you know, coming off the back of a successful first record and then, like, doing this, I, I, I can't fault Ambition, even if it faulted them on the whole. Do you think, though, that that kind of idea of pretentiousness, that's always going to surround political records and political songs? Like yes. We, we talk about that now. We, yeah. talk, we talk about... Um, I'm so sick of protest songs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and it's it's a discussion that hasn't really bad ever protest. gone bad away. Bad yeah. But I I, th- I think as a, a song like Zombie, again, I was three years old when it came out and I didn't... I didn't know anything. At the, I literally didn't know anything. Um, but when I went back and I and I listened to it, I I couldn't really decide if if I heard it now at twenty six, if if I'd absolutely hate it or if I think that it was just this, you know, banger anthem as as a song musically i i enjoy it i i I love her voice i like the sound of it but i can't i can't divorce it from its sort of political undertones and maybe i'm just getting a bit sick of protest in the the stained glass over the door of uh, her house she has the lyrics all the lyrics for zombie is written in the stained glass around the front door of her house are you serious is that because it's the only song anyone ever asked us to sing and she's worried she'll forget the lyrics (laughs) possibly and again i don't know whether i like that or I think it's really pretentious. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. Like, who does that? Like, but I didn't realise that she su- has such a tough life. You know, like she's really, mm. she went through sexual abuse and um, just went through a really tough time as a kid for y- for years, you know. Mm. Um, and I was kind of glad to find it because I was, you know, like I said, when I, when I first started listening to the re- record when I was a kid, I was just like, this girl is so badass, got short hair yeah. and she's cool and she wears cool clothes and, 
She and sings about like, pain. And... She, yeah, she sings about feelings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought she was so cool. But I think as an el- older woman now, uh, like, finding out about just this struggle, like, not, not, you know, honing in that drama into something creative is, you know, it makes me more um, forgiving of things like... Yeah, I totally agree. That, you know what I mean? Fair enough. Good summation. Uh, well, we have one album left on this shortlist. Uh, founded by the late Mick Christopher. This is the Mary Janes. But you've also seen my They're laughing. Nathan, are you a fan? Can we classify you as a fan? I was a big fan of Mick Christopher, which is why I picked this. I picked it for nostalgic reasons, not from the time, because I didn't really listen to this until just after Mick died, and then I listened to it quite a lot. So when I saw it was on the list, I just had to put it out there, because I don't think it's an album people have listened to that much. It's an album that probably doesn't reflect the way the band went after that. Like, you look at the three people in the band all went on to do really good things for Irish music obviously Mick we know died in 2001 just as he was about to release his first album but Carl Adelum was playing bass who's played with everybody in the Irish music scene pretty much Simon Good who I know was with sort of sound up for the frames but was definitely a band about 10 years ago with Binzer and Colin Quirney and I remember going to see them in Whelan's and I can't have the life of me Lear no it was after Lear can't for the life of me. He played on Monday for a long time. Yeah. So they all went on and are still uh, involved in the Irish music scene. The three of them, it seems, sort of met up on the streets, busking in that sort of whole Glen Hansard gang. Mm. And the album sort of sounds like a band that was made on the streets. There's a lot of shouting. Mm. There is a lot of playing your guitar as loud as you can. And even though I listened to it a lot around 2001 and listened to it a lot over the last couple of weeks, it was literally when I was walking in here that I realised there's no drums. There's no drums. <laughs> in the entire album. Uh, so it's all Mick Christopher's acoustic guitar, which is basically the rhythm for the entire album. Lyrically, it's all over the shop. Like their second album, Sham, is an improvement. Then Mick's solo album, Skylarking, is almost that album that people say you spend your whole life writing your debut album. Like that's Mick's life story. Mm. This seems like something they wrote in the studio. There's it's no, very raggle taggle, yeah, isn't it? Like, like there's bits of the Pogues in there. It's a very early 90s well, Irish Ka- record. Carl came from, um, he played with Keela, he was the bass player in Keela. So the, I, I almost hear that, you know. But then there's really weird tracks, like, you know, for me there's a, where it works best is Talk and War. That's a, I think it's a great tune. I think it's seven and a half minutes long. There's a lot of really song, long songs. Oh, the album. album's well Six, over an hour. 65 minutes long or something, yeah. And, it's it's got that thing with really short titles, really long songs. <laughs> that happens. You'll, you'll see that that, that happens it's in like albums. The opposite like, of yeah, Fall Out Boy. But then there's stuff. There's there's a, a song called Instigator, which is just like funk. It's like funk guitar. It's so bizarre. Um, and yeah, as you said, it does again. It's like there is stuff that's good about it. Like you, you can get a little bit lost in it because, as I say, some of the songs are nine minutes long or whatever. You can sit back and let it kind of wash over you. The lyrics, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> It, do, it, it, it does sound a bit stream of consciousness it makes sense of what you're saying about it being written in the studio um, but when it works it's good 
But when it doesn't work, it, it just does seem very unfocused, sort of, you know? Mm. He went on and had a drummer. They had a drummer for their, their three next albums, I think. Yeah, it feels like that's kind of the point. I mean, as you said yourself, you know, a band that comes from the streets clearly forms probably on a whim. I mean, like, like probably like, let's just pair our collective talents together, see what happens. That's the kind of ramshackle nature of a lot of bands that have come out of the Irish music scene. Like, I'm thinking of, you know, Popical Island Collective, that kind of stuff. I mean, and there's definitely a market for that. There's definitely kind of like, you know, room for that. I think, you know, it's not really my bag. I mean, I found this album quite hard to kind of get into. But then again, halfway through it, I kind of realized that the fault was with me. I was like, I don't need to completely analyze this. I don't need to really kind of try and sit down and be critical about it. I I just need to enjoy it. And I think on a very base level, it is enjoyable. I mean, again, I'm not really going to put this up there as one of my favorite records of all time or nothing and even the style of it it's just generally not my thing i mean like at times i kept expecting expecting to break it into a full-blown trad session which never really came thankfully but i was kind of like <laughs> you could look at it as alt trad or something if you wanted to but i mean at the same time i think it, i think for what it is and for the spirit of what, what what involved they nailed it i mean granted i don't think they gave a shit about impressing people or getting critical acclaim it was just some people having fun and I mean I don't mean that in a patronising way it sounds condescending I don't mean it to I think it's you know for what it is it's great if it's your favourite record awesome uh, it's not really mine but you know what can you do I, I found this um, out of all the albums I found it the one that um, on this list that kind of washed over me the most I didn't hate it I didn't love it but uh I kind of I kind of liked how like raggle taggle raggle taggle is a crap phrase. I really apologize <laughs> for using that. But I mean it's it's quite folky and with the acoustic guitar being the main rhythm instrument it's it does le- leave itself towards that you know le- leads towards that kind of trad feel. And I like that the lyrics are kind of all over the place and kind of spacey and stuff. But I I also it didn't grab me song-wise like melody-wise, you know, it didn't feel as There's definitely no hit on it. Didn't feel like that, no, no, no. But again, it didn't feel like, you know, you've talked before, Kira, but, you know, an album, you know, like, has album tracks, and that's fine, like, which, you know, they're not necessarily filler, they're like, they're there to be album tracks, and you have to write certain sonic, certain kind of like laser focus when it comes to your singles and that kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, I, I can't even imagine how you would market this band if you were to, like, you know, be like, oh, well, this is, you know, we have them on our, uh, uh, like, like, as part of our collective stable. I mean, like, and I guess that's probably the point. I mean, and have you worked with bands like this before? I mean, like, is this... Um, I I'm a big fan of Sham. Actually, the the second the next record mm-hmm. by the Mary Janes. But and I th- I feel like what you said in terms of um it developing a little bit in, and then Sham being you know the next step. I feel like it just wasn't kind of honed and focused enough. But I know lots of people who prefer Border They're Laughing. You know, like I, I think that sort of banjos it's it's less about the lyrics and more just about the messiness of it maybe but but I there's some tracks on Shan that are some of my favourite Irish tracks I think they're amazing um, and uh, you know like I think I feel like Border the, La- Border the La- Laughter Laughing Laughter, laughter um, is is kind of just a youthful version of what was to come maybe and I remember read or not reading there's a bootleg um of one of Mick's last gigs, in, I think it's in the lobby, maybe um, in Cork, and he's talking about his new, you know, his tracks that were later that would later become um, Skylarkin, and he's just saying that like when he was in the Mary Janes, that he was going out with a girl for a long time, they lived together, and he'd write, a, you know, he'd write a song, and and then you know naturally the girl would be like, what's that song about? Who's that? Who's that about? You know, mm-hmm. and he's sort of it's part of the show that. 
he obviously didn't expect it to be bootlegged and people to listen to it so much either but um but it's just it's funny like the Mary Janes I get that like that with the you know that it, there's no real kind of it's a bit of a stream of consciousness consciousness like you say and then when he went on to to write Skylark and other tunes from that there's a bit more freedom to be kind of poetic and you know a, a matureness where you can write about your feelings as opposed to try and be in a punk rock band mm-hmm. you know like or there's something a bit more mature I think about you know about that, what he went on to do after that Alright I think that about does it so we'll have a short break and we'll come back and try and pick a winner so to speak as we always do <laughs> Again, the revisit is mostly about you know what we think you should go back to and listen to. It's not really a competition, so to speak. But if it was, I would say go with Fatima Mansions, which uh, surprises me uh, as much as it surprised Kieran McGuinness with his exhale of breath over there. I think it's the most complete record here. I think it's the most enjoyable. I think it's the most ambitious. I think it's the most uh, kind of well realized, and I quite like. You know, there's nothing here I really dislike. But yeah, if you're going to take the time, uh, get lost in the former West with Fatima Mansions. That's my vote, Kieran. Um, Fatima Mansions There you go For all the reasons you just said I properly really like this album Like it I think it's I think it's a great find I'm really Excited about it And I'm going to be listening to it today On the way home You know That's how much I like it uh, It's it's great Um, I've got two Is that okay? Yeah Okay For two different reasons uh, Fatima Mansions Because like, like you said That's what I'm going to be listening to On my way home And Um that's it, it was more of a I'm I'm really happy to offend this thing um, and just listen to the Cranberries one again just to kind of just put it put, put it in your own angry political context of 2017 and maybe try and figure out where you would have stood on it back in 1994 if you were a young and like me I'll go for two as well. I'll put Fatima Mansions in because it's a record I think maybe not enough people have listened to and that if I wasn't here, I wouldn't have listened to and I really enjoyed it as well. And also the Cranberries because it's the most modern sounding of all the records. Like you talk about 94, what they were doing in England and they were moving on. Like you had definitely maybe, you had the start of something there. A lot of these seem quite early 90s whereas the Cranberries stands up to, like my first album that I bought ever was in 1994 was R.E.M. Monster. And this stands up to like REM Monster. It's of that sort of standard. And it sounds, yeah, it definitely sounds like a more modern Irish record. And I just really enjoyed it. Again, maybe just nostalgic purposes, but actually enjoyed it far more than I thought it would. Uh, I'm going to go with Phantom of Mansions as well. It's a clean sweep. Yeah. Wow. I think. I think you know for everything that everybody else has said I I do kind of w- I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but I, I do wish we had I think I chose the cranberries because of nostalgia and my second was bored of laughing because I was lucky enough to know Mick and I kind of you know I I loved listening to that record again but I do kind of wish we we talked about the divine comedy as well I think that was a really good record um, yeah it's difficult isn't it because um it's hard to if be objective. I know how people would, would other people would have voted, I I would have changed my vote. You know, mm-hmm. you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it's hard to be objective. Uh, difference between like how you feel about a record and what you w- would like to talk about. You know, yeah. it's yeah. kind of, you know, like I had a lot to say about the cranberries, but really, if I was going to listen to like the, the Fatima Mansions record and the Divine Comedy record, they're probably they're the two that I'll go back and listen to again. I mean that's that's a funny thing. I mean this album like the, the lists always surprise me it's never what I think it's going to be and I never know what people are going to latch on to um, and this one was a real surprise because um, 
I felt like there was an album in it, and I don't want to be disrespectful to, to Curb Dog, but it wasn't one that it was anyone's favorite. It was everyone's kind of second favorite, mm-hmm. or it was one that people kind of promoted, and then as a result, it took someone else that was someone else's favorite, you know, one, yeah. one of their favorites off. So it's funny how it works, but I think, you know, I think Divine Comedy is is a shout for people to go and listen to as well. Promenade, you know, from from prom, Promenade. From <laughs> 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 the same year, it absolutely is. But this time we all latched onto the same record. That is Fatima Mansion. So uh, I want to thank my panel of Andrea, Nathan, Una, and Kier. This has been the revisit, uh, a side project of No Encore. I've been Dave Hanready, and to play us out. We will have Fatima Mansions with the full version of that awesome track from earlier, The Loyalizer. Sorry to interrupt once again, but just before we play The Loyalizer by Fatima Mansions, Kieran caught up with Cahill Coughlin from Fatima Mansions on the phone. So here is that interview. Uh, just a quick note on it. There appears to be a toddler in the background watching the news and filling a dishwasher. So apologies for the noise, but um, it's a really interesting conversation. So here it is. Cahill, how are you doing? This is uh, Kieran giving you a shout from the revisit. So um, thanks very much for agreeing to talk to me. No problem, Kieran. Um, so, uh, as I said to you, um, Lost in the Former West was our album to revisit for 1994. Um, I think it was something that, when I, when, when we listened to it, I hadn't heard a lot of Fatima Mansion stuff, partially because it's difficult to find it. But um, in, I, in, it instantly, I was instantly attracted to it. I, I really felt something from it. Um, and I kind of felt like I, I was disappointed that I hadn't heard it before because it was exactly the kind of thing I was listening to. You know, in the early 2000s, I listened to a lot of the Holy Bible. Um, there was that Manic Street Preachers album and Whippin' Boy and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, it for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, it, it really kind of sat with me, it just connected with me. But um, I guess just coming up to the album, you'd left um, Micro Disney and you'd started uh, the Phantom Mansions. Uh, what was that What was that kind of crossover? How did, how did you feel that it went from the Micro Disney stuff to the Fatima Mansion stuff, was that just so you could kind of be freer or how did it work out that way? Well, it was just a pragmatic thing that was forced on me, to be honest. I mean, the Micro Disney thing had, it ran its course, you know, and the core relationships weren't really working anymore. So I, I, I had to do something else. And... Um, it was then it became a case of well who's around and there was one little tour in Europe that I had to get something I had to just get a band together just to do it and that was the beginning of the Fatima Mansions it was the constant people really were me and Grimo the guitarist and Nick the drummer um, it took a while for the other instruments to get kind of nailed and um, we just began recording whenever we could, um, little bits of demo sessions and just any way that we could blag some recording time because the Micro Disney thing had actually been quite lavish in some of those respects and um, I didn't really want to go back to it and I was skint. And... Um, you know, doing things the mainstream music industry way had, as far as I was concerned, it was that was finished for me. Um, so uh, we made the we made a mini album called Against Nature by various of those scuffling around means, 
and gigged gigged a lot. Um, ran up dates from doing that, which is which was the norm at that time. Yeah. And then we did leave it at Ponies after a couple of years, I guess it was nearly a couple of years, and um, that was the first substantial. Uh, well, full-length album, really, and um, people seemed to like it, but we were swimming against the tide in the UK because that wasn't the kind of thing that people were listening to. Or the, we were lucky enough with the press, but with the music industry and the public, <laughs> it wasn't so wasn't so easy. And um, it does sound very. Um it sounds very singular, though. Like it's like you weren't um, bending to anyone, which I think I think is the kind of thing that a lot of people would really connect with. I guess. I mean, the, the, I, I kept trying a lot of different things, but um, yeah, I mean, we weren't. I suppose at that time, the norm for an album still was, you know three or four singles plus you know filler or if you manage to make a statement well fine but um, it was a confused period you know there was the acid house thing and the dance thing um, and we didn't really fit with that I mean we we used a lot of the same instrumentation the same ideas but to much different Effect. It was more about expressing dystopia than getting a bunch of football hooligans to get loved up and throw their arms around each other. <laughs> well, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a kind of a it's much more maybe in, than the uh, uh, the micro Disney stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of anger. There's a huge amount of um, kind of. I suppose fuck you throughout a lot like I listened to some stuff as I said there's not a lot of stuff online for for um for um, the Fatima Mansion stuff but there is stuff in the uh, on YouTube you get a bit and you know I'm flicking through you know blues for Chescu and then there's a song shiny happy people I came across which is just completely bizarre to me and uh, but I still kind of <laughs> I still loved it you know that it was so ridiculous I thought this guy you know I don't know there's something there's something kind of appealing about that absolute fuck you but I'm assuming that that it's not amazing for a record label to hear in the run up to uh, in up to, run up to the uh, the last album uh, well the thing was that um, uh, like I said everything we did got us into difficulty financially and um, eventually it became necessary to get you know because I was working with Kitchenware, uh, which mainly because I knew the people going back quite a few years and trusted them. Uh, but they didn't have immense resources, and we needed, they and I needed to get somebody else in to come up with some cash so we could keep going because the debts were piling up rather threateningly. And um, so we signed to this American label called Radioactive which was set up by this guy called Gary Kirschhurst who was a, quite a celebrated punk and new wave mainly, well he'd been around before that but mm. he 
done a lot of things that came out of CBGBs and done really well with them. And I'm talking about a widespread from you know from Ramones to Blondie to Talking Heads. And he done bits with Eurythmics and other records, and you know he was quite celebrated music industry figure in America. And he he started this label with with what was then MCA became Universal later on, hmm. and. Um, so he was very enthusiastic and he, he came on board, but they put David Dead Ponies out in America and it kind of did okay, hype-wise, <laughs> but it didn't really, we did quite a long tour and it didn't, you know, kind of break a sweat, really. And so then it was time to regroup and I essentially had this philosophy of, um, uh, recording a, a, as we went, like wherever we were, whatever material was knocking a boat, we would just record that. And so we, by the time that's the Dead Ponies in America thing finished, we had nearly enough songs for Valhalla, Al, uh, Valhalla Avenue album. Yeah. And we, were, we finished it a few months after coming off tour. Uh, my living circumstances were kind of awful at the time um, and it kind of showed in the way the record was just kind of flung together but I just decided to go with it you know and um, they hated it they didn't put it out and things started getting really difficult and I hate yeah. people you know, talking of, we should be talking about their music, talking about business, but unfortunately, when you asked me about Lost in the Former West, the problem that I have with it is that I find it very hard to divorce any other feelings I have about it from the kind of logistical problems that we, we had at the time. Um... So I had to move out of London after Valhalla Avenue and um, I was living up in Newcastle and we had done this, another European tour which had gotten us into more trouble financially. <laughs> Jesus. And um, uh, it was time to write a record and I think I was pretty much doing it from scratch at that point because I think the, the sort of that particular round of of writing had had had, uh, had been had been used up. So I essentially set about writing the songs for Us in the Former West in Newcastle on my own, which was not great because it's not so easy to. Everybody else was in London. It wasn't so easy to give anybody a call and say, "Do you want to come round and do some." some playing on the, on this demo, you know, and um, so there was a lot of toing and froing and the American label wanted us to use a, quotes, real, unquote, producer, which caused even more toing and froing, and I would guess it took about 18 months before we got into the studio, pretty much, yeah. And there were, even then, there were several false starts, which is why there are three producers on it. Right, okay. Well, that's where Jerry Harrison came in, I guess. Uh, he came in at the very end, I think, pretty much. We had done tracks with Gil Norton. We did tracks with Ralph. 
And yeah, then Jerry just had a window in his in his schedule, and he was dispatched from the United States. And things proceeded very quickly from there. And um, well, it was good that they moved quickly because I was in the mood to get it over with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that there is a huge amount. I think, I think you can hear a lot of frustration in the album. There's a lot of anger in it, but it, it doesn't feel. I read somewhere that um, it was, oh, it was you know, it was a, a swan song or whatever. But it doesn't sound. It sounds confident. You know, it sounds angry and focused to me, um, and, and some of the songs. For like Loyalizer, for example, <laughs> you know, Loyalizer, I can imagine being the the incredibly angry song at the end of a, an indie disco in the way that like a Rage Against the Machine song could be or something. I mean, it isn't. I always, I always, when I hear an album for the first time, you know, you kind of, I try and let it play and, and try and get it all in, and and uh, I found it, I just found it an assault, you know, which was kind of exciting but also kind of tiring, but. Um, but as I've gone back to it, I, 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 uh, I've much more got into the lyrics of it and stuff. And I, um, I don't know. There, there does seem to be a lot of focus to it. I, I don't, you know, you're, you're talking about a kind of a crazy. I think you've done well then. You know, with the situation you're describing, that it was so focused. Yeah. Well, I think the loyalizer was one of the best things we did, um, and Jerry really helped to hone it down because it was a bit. The way I wrote it originally, it was a bit of a sprawl. And, um, yeah, I mean, it got done with three minutes or something, and it, and it, and it doesn't mess around. Mm. And the same thing happened with a few of the other ones, actually. He wasn't really interested in hearing all my, like, referential stuff. You know, I kind of drove him up the walls with that, really, and he just... I stopped, essentially. I'd been too long on my own. I, I had overcooked it in my own head. Um... So it was good to have somebody who uh, didn't give a shit about all that periphery. Yeah. He just wanted to make the best series of tracks we could. We knew there wasn't going to be time to do the full album, but um, I guess seven tracks or something like that were him, uh, or eight, eight tracks. Um, which for, you know, two weeks' work or thereabouts was pretty, pretty good going. Yeah, really good. But some of the lyrics in Popemobile to Paraguay, for example, sound like they're deliberately kind of um, trying to get a reaction at times. You know, I think there was a little bit of that in some of those lyrics. You know, they were kind of a little bit, uh, maybe not trying to shock, but definitely trying to get a reaction, you know. And I think still now, I think some of them are kind of, you know, they're they're interesting, they're, they're arresting, they, they, you end up paying attention to them. Was that something that you felt, did you feel like you were deliberately trying to kind of get attention that way, or did you, just, that's just the way it came out of you? Well, probably the Paraguay is a kind of a flammers and swan type thing, really. Um, I, yeah, I, I wanted to say something about the papacy, um, and, I guess the role that Western Europe had played in bringing about the Bosnian conflict and uh, the aim, the amorality of of um, West European power, 
uh, and we hadn't, you know, we hadn't seen anything then. The 1945 solution was still pretty much undisputed at that point. Uh, although I guess the 1989 euphoria had well and truly worn off um, because it was obvious that with the withdrawal of, of Soviet influence that a lot of the unburied uh, contagion of, of, the, of the 1930s was still was still there. And of course, but I mean, that was nothing. I mean, the body count was higher at that point, but what we're seeing right now is is worse. Yeah, it's, it's a know? pretty, it's a pretty, yeah, difficult time to be an artist that wants to write about political situations. All right, um, I think, yeah, I mean, when you listen back to it, I mean, do you, if you listen back to the album, is it the kind of thing that you would? I mean, I know I don't put on albums of my own in the house or anything like that. But you know, do, would you ever go back to to it and like you know, sit down and, and what kind of feelings would you get from it? Or if you were doing a live gig and going back through tracks, what kind of feelings do you connect with it? Um, it's very much a yeah. I, I would listen back to old stuff when looking for things to play live, and and pretty much never never otherwise unless there's some sort of reissued thing that needs to be decided or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but when I listen to it, it's so much a, a product of what that band was, and particularly who the guitar player was, that it's of no relevance to anything I've done post-1998, really, probably. Uh, <laughs> I have played Brunsling song, because it does actually work quite well as a sort of a frantic piano ballad, um, and that's one of the ones I'm most pleased with, actually. That's a more personal one, isn't it? It's not. No, not exactly. It's about James James Jesus Angleton, who was the head of oh, okay. uh, counterintelligence at the CIA in the in the sixties and the seventies. Um, Funny, I took I took some of the lyrics as being kind of personal. Um, I have the lyrics here. And, uh, uh, some, of, some of them are. Uh, walk your way is quite personal. Walk in the woods. Um, There's a line in Br- Brunsling's song. It's they said adapt, and some time back, I think I snapped. And uh, I was kind of thinking like it would it would make sense, you know, into the kind of angry the angriness of the album to be like I'm not taking a mad as hell. I'm not taking this anymore, kind of thing. You know, and I think there was a bit of that that I took from it, but obviously, yeah, I suppose there is. I think what I meant with that really was more. Um, uh, I adapted, I adapted, and now I don't know who I am. Really, I'm, I'm just adrift. Yeah, you came so far from where you were. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's mainly what the whole that's that is the theme of the whole record. Actually, is being adrift. Um, I was living in a post-industrial quite strange environment in the northeast of England um, with the echoes of many previous cultures but with no cohesion left or so it seemed to me as an outsider anyway I've, I've had reason to revise my view of Newcastle since then I think I really like it a lot more than I did when I lived there 
I think I just I just wasn't ready for that type of environment, so I kind of gone there because I didn't have anywhere else to go, and I never really gave it sufficient attention, and my lifestyle hadn't quite moderated to the point that it did later on. Um, soon that it did soon afterwards, actually. That's mm. What it was about Newcastle, but um, at that time. But that's that sense of being adrift, and I, I, a Brunsling song. Were, I was finding a parallel in this semi-fantastic idea of a uh, an ex um, espionage kingpin selling domestic appliances from door to door, uh, because that's what my life kind of felt like. Well. Um I think it's a. I think it's a brilliant album. We all we all kind of agreed, and it was fairly unanimous um, that it was our album to revisit. Um, it's not anywhere on Spotify. You know, I'm, I'm going to be recommending people go to listen listen to it on U, on YouTube. I mean, there's plenty of discussions about Spotify and all the rest. Where do you stand? I, is is that is there a reason other than record company you know bullshit that it isn't up there? Or uh, it's record company disinterest actually. Uh, I don't own any rights in it, and anybody who's ever investigated um, trying to do something with it has grown discouraged fairly quickly because you probably know yourself, just to get these people to even pull the file off a hard drive or let alone a filing cabinet somewhere costs them money and they don't necessarily want to even that much uh, resource to having a discussion about what it might take to get the stuff available. Um, recently, somebody else became interested in it. Maybe they'll get further than the previous people did. Mm. Uh, I think you have to bring your sandwiches. <laughs> Put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to camp, yeah. Um well, just to, to finish off, thanks for talking. Yeah, you, you've had a couple of uh, albums recently um, with um, the North Sea Scrolls. Uh, you've been working with Luke Haynes and Andrew Muller. That's right, and that's yeah. 2012 to now. Is is that's the kind of period that you're working? Uh, we we just did the one record, and we might do another sometime, but I don't know. I'll just. Uh, I, I, I put a lot of my time into doing little one-offs in other people's projects over the last few years and I'm just trying to get back to doing something under my own name or really that's doing yeah well look I really really appreciate you talking to me um, I'll let you get back to your Sunday cheers Karen. thanks a lot thank you bye bye
Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. These days, we're all getting more screen time, which means we're also getting more blue light exposure than ever before. Too much blue light can make your eyes feel tired, dry, or blurry. It can also affect your sleep. Zenny's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenny frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at zenni.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.